to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined today by Zara McDonald and Annabelle Lee. It's me, Annabelle Lee. It's you, of course. Michelle is on her honeymoon. So we will be holding down the fort today. And coming up on today's show, it is all over for Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde. Lily Rose Depp launches herself headfirst into a Nepo baby conversational fire. Brooklyn Beckham tells the world he is an absolute nutter in the kitchen while trying to convince us we need his tutorial for a gin and tonic. And then what is going on with Taylor and Ticketmaster? We are going to unpack it all. But first, Annabelle... How was your week? My week was wonderful. Firstly, though, this is so weird. Like, obviously, we talk just on the daily, (laughs) but never behind the mic, face to face. It's so weird. We've never been in this position where we're facing each other so directly. It's quite an intimate experience. I know, but I'm happy about it. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for filling in for Mish, although you're already on the mic. Of course. Every week. Anyway, of course, Michelle got married on Saturday. She did. She will, of course, be back next week. So she'll tell us all the details from her perspective. But tell me the details (laughs) from your perspective. From my perspective. (laughs) Well, I was going to pick like one particular story to tell but it was all quite an incredible day. Yeah. I had some of the gals over beforehand for pre's. You actually, people might not know this, but you actually emceed the reception. I did. And I had a front row seat. You were. I was so close. It was like so <laughs> close. Like, you and you a- didn't look at me once. No, I know. <laughs> we had a room full of people, like 170 people or whatever. And the person sitting right <laughs> under my nose was Annabelle. And then when I came off after the first sort of little talking interlude, you went, why aren't you looking at me? I'm like, you are the last person I'm going to look at right now. I thought maybe it was pre-planned to have me right in front so I could like be cheering on and motivating you. Well, let's ask Michelle that when she gets back next week because she did the seating plan. No, they looked beautiful. They had the happiest day. Our listeners will be so stoked to know the sun came out for like a miracle hour. Just it was magical. As the ceremony started, which was amazing. I do have to say I had one job, which was to put Michelle's veil on at the very top of the aisle because it was a bit windy. Yeah. So we thought we're not going to put the veil on until she gets right to the top of the aisle. And so I do my little job. I put it in. I'm like, it's really secure. And then the minute she got to the bottom of the aisle, it just flew off. And I was like, I had one job. I was going to say, not to be rude, but why would they give the shortest person the job of putting the veil on the tallest person in the group? It's stressful. (laughs) Anyway, we were able to put it back on and it looked beautiful. So they are in the Wit Sundays now. We're just so happy for them, but she will give all the details next week, I'm sure. Yes. Or as many as she's actually willing to give. (laughs) At the end of the night as well, you kind of came up to me and you said, I've lost my voice and I don't know how. Oh, this is another thing I was thinking. Like the next day I could barely speak and I was thinking to myself, am I speaking wrong? Because most nights out, I swear I don't speak that loudly, but the next day I lose my voice. Well, you you did say like, I've lost my voice. I've no idea why this happened. And there are about four people in this conversation and (laughs) Everyone turned around and said, you were yelling most of the (laughs) evening. And I was like, you better stop talking till Wednesday because I need you on this podcast. I was yelling. I tend to do that. Your voice sounds amazing. (laughs) Anyway, tell me, do you have a recommendation this week? I do. Despite it being a busy weekend, I did also consume a lot. That's good. Yes, I consumed Stutz on Netflix. Stutz. Stutz. So Stutz is actually a name. It is the name of Jonah Hill's therapist, Phil Stutz. So some of you might have seen this around on social media. It is a documentary written and directed by Jonah Hill. 
it's like this beautiful doco where Jonah decides to make this film about his therapist that he's had for a few years. It moves through Jonah's ups and downs of the actual filmmaking process. Like he decides to make certain decisions and then he feels anxious about it and he talks about it with Stutz. Anyway, we learn about Philip Stutz's personal life as well. So Jonah like probes him and asks him questions about his own life. Jonah talks about his own life as well. And it's just this like really vulnerable piece of film. So he made a documentary about his psychologist. Yes. About his psychologist's personal life too. I think that was the intention to begin with, but then it ends up turning into this just like whole film about psychological tools and the tools that Jonah has used over the years because of Stutz that have improved Jonah's mental well-being. That sounds amazing. It's so great. And also very different to anything else I've actually really heard. Yes. And it's all in black and white, which really brings the mood into this serious, but like it's funny as well. It's very funny. I think it, I think it would have to have some elements of funny, right? Yeah. To be by Jonah Hill. That's a good recommendation. It's not too heavy. No, it's not. And I think we've all kind of been curious about our own therapist's personal life. Oh, and Jonah God, yeah. like knows no limits. He just goes straight for it. <laughs> you would love this though. You really would. Okay, that's a really good rec. I have one rec as well this week. I have recommended Hayley Narman's newsletter, Maybe Baby, so many times on the show, on my Instagram story, but she wrote a column this week called On Cosmetic Procedures and the Limits of Destigmatization. Now, I know that sounds like kind of a mouthful and I always get a bit nervous talking about these kinds of columns because when they're so smart and you have to try and give a synopsis, I fear I might sound actually incredibly stupid, but I feel like with this piece, she basically writes about how we always have conversations about cosmetic procedures and what it actually means in like a feminist world to have work done and all of those kinds of things. But I think the problem I've always had with the conversation about getting work done is some people say, okay, well, and fair enough too, it's not good enough for people to just ignore that it exists or it's not helpful, I should say rather, that women just pretend that they haven't had any work done because that kind of gaslights us all. But on the other hand, I've also really struggled with this idea that the more we talk about it, the more destigmatized it becomes. I've always really struggled with that idea too because the less I hear about it, the less I think about my own face or the way I look myself. I don't know if you feel similarly about that. So you sent me this column and I read it and I was like, this is what I've been wanting to read for a very long time to articulate this gut feeling I have about the increase of conversation around cosmetic procedures. Yes. Because it's like, it's great to destigmatize because it reduces the shame of people who who do want to get cosmetic surgery because it, it is your choice and you can do for whatever sure. you want. But yeah, I've always had this gut feeling of like, I felt a bit uncomfortable because it felt a little bit like an easy out almost. Yeah. Like, well, if we just talk about it, then that's the best we can do. And Haley kind of writes, you know, there is always a space to talk about it. There's always a space for these conversations, but we have to acknowledge the limits of trying to destigmatize cosmetic surgery. So I think it's a really smart and really amazing piece. She actually has just released a follow-up piece as well ah. this morning. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday, which is also really good. So I'll put both of those links in the show notes. Reading columns like this, make me feel like a shit writer she writes yeah, like, I know. honestly but the whole time I was like oh my god this is incredible but I, I truly believe she's one of like the best writers out there like and also with one of the better brains out there so I couldn't recommend it more but I also agree I was like I would <laughs> never be able to I could never um, Annabelle we had Jumping straight into the quick and dirty today. We are Zara McDonald. Today it's your turn. It's my turn. Oh my God, I get to say the line. What do are I you know saying? It? Do you know do the I line? Do I know it? Zara McDonald. <laughs> As always, we dive into the top five stories of the rough and tumble Come on, you got this. of this week's news cycle. <laughs> I went with my own thing. Yeah, that's fine. 
Zara McDonald's. You no, wait. said Zara McDonald's three times in the last In case you didn't know, your name minutes. is Zara McDonald. <laughs> yeah. Zara Ellis McDonald, what have you got for me? Okay, that is honestly the most amount of times that my name has been said. That was shocking. And last. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't your best, but we are so rolling with it. My first story, of course, we need to start here. Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde are taking a break after nearly two years together. That is from People magazine. It has been two years. It's yeah. felt like much shorter. Would you agree? I totally agree with that. Like it's probably felt more like a year. On Saturday, Australian time, news did break from People magazine that the most talked about couple, arguably the most talked about couple of the last year, had broken up. How did you feel when you saw this news? I was unsurprised. Yeah. I don't know why, but my gut was like, it was all PR. They were holding out for a perfect moment to break up and this is kind of the perfect moment. How interesting. Well, I think what was always intriguing with these kinds of stories for me is that when it initially breaks, it was reported that they were on a break. I mean, this is how people initially broke the story. The As It Was singer and the Don't Worry Darling director are taking a break from their relationship after nearly two years together. Multiple sources confirm exclusively to people. He is still touring and is now going abroad. She is focusing on her kids and her work in L.A. It is a very amicable decision. I'm always intrigued how they frame it as a break. Like just say that they've split. Also, it goes without saying too, I think, that if this breaks in People magazine, it's about as legit as it gets. Yeah, for sure. Now the source went on. They're still very close friends. Right now they have different priorities that are keeping them apart. Though the couple never actually confirmed their relationship, they kind of never had to. No. Yeah, because news broke that they were dating in January 2021 after they were photographed holding hands while attending a friend's wedding. Which ended up being quite iconic photos, right? And from there they never actually were properly interviewed or spoke of the relationship. We just knew that they were together. I think naturally people started asking the question, right? Like when did these two actually split? Because three days before this announcement was made public, on Tuesday, Olivia was actually at Harry's concert with her two kids dancing and singing with them. And so it made me wonder, did they break up before the concert? And she just sort of went to the concert as one last peace offering, a public sort of, hey, we're okay. Or did they break up in the three days between the concert and the announcement? I think it was a way to show people that they were still friends. Yeah. That maybe they could have broken up like a while ago. I really don't know. Like if I'm following the opinion that at least some of the relationship or like continuing the relationship for so long was PR, then maintaining this level of a strong friendship by showing us so publicly that they're in fact still friends seems like something they would do. I don't know. <laughs> do you agree? Do you think it's PR? Do I? No, I don't. But you're not in the minority. Like a lot of people yeah. do think that. Well, if I'm following that line of thought, which I think I feel now... I feel like maybe they wanted to push this whole where friends will still be friends for a while kind of thing. That's why they put Olivia so publicly up in seats where people could see them and photograph them. Well, well, that's the other thing that was very interesting about her appearance at this concert is anyone who's spent any time on TikTok will know that when Olivia Wilde has gone to Harry Styles concerts, she's often sort of backstage and people are filming her very much sort of back where almost AV is, is the best way I could describe it. At this concert on Tuesday, she was up in those seats that are incredibly visible, not far down from where James Corden was sitting. So it's obviously sort of Harry's almost box or corner where he is able to give these tickets to friends, but they are, they're not quiet seats. Like they're really, really front and center. Now, maybe the most naive part of me thought initially when I saw this, that Harry and Olivia had broken up after the Tuesday 
and they'd announce it straight away. And then I saw this tweet from a journalist and podcaster by the name of Gibson Johns who wrote, truly obsessed with the timing of this announcement. Friday after East Coast working hours, Don't Worry Darling has just put on streaming and attention has completely died out. Harry has just wrapped the US leg of his tour this year, the weekend before Thanksgiving. See, perfect timing. But I do. <laughs> I agree with you. It is an, uh, the ab- absolute perfect timing for a breakup announcement. I mean, I think I did say a couple of months ago on the show that they were going to break up over Christmas because it's a quieter period. I mean, give me like a B plus for this. The yeah. weekend before Thanksgiving is not that bad. But they definitely needed a quiet spot for it. But that to me doesn't necessarily prove that the whole thing was PR. It just says to me that they wanted a quiet exit. Fascinating. Now, who do we think Harry will date next? Me? Because I'm single. (laughs) I would love it to be you. Um, Who do I think? Do you have ideas? Some people have actually been speculating that he has re-hooked up with Kendall Jenner. I just, I'm not sure about this. Well, because on Tuesday morning, Australian time, it was reported that Kendall and her boyfriend, Devin Booker, had actually broken up just a week after she appeared at his concert. I don't know if you saw on TikTok, they were all boogieing and dancing with Hayley and Kylie. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, the seats that Kendall, Hayley and Kylie were in looked very similar to the seats that Olivia Wilde was in just a few days later. I did see this, that Kendall's breakup news came like a few days after Harry and Olivia's. I'm not sold on this theory at all, but I appreciate why it's circulating. I saw a really interesting TikTok from Girlboss Town as well that had a theory that Harry would next date Camilla Marone, Leonardo DiCaprio's ex. You know how Camilla Marone is very much in the group of like Kendall and Hayley and all of that. And she's like very much an it girl. Also, you will love this. Mm-hmm. Camilla Marone has a role in Daisy Jones and the Six. So Girl Boss Town, that account on TikTok that has like amazing predictions and PR moves, is like this could be like a Daisy Jones and the Six coming to real oh. life, Camilla Marone dating the rock star. Okay, I have two questions. The first one is who does she play in Daisy Jones? I, I actually know. Well, don't know. I uh, probably should have checked that before. <laughs> Let me, I can do a live Google. I'm so intrigued to watch this. I Oh, she plays Camilla. Yes, she does. Camilla plays Camilla. Yes. We've, ta- we've actually spoken about this on the show before. If Michelle's listening to this, she's going to be deeply disappointed <laughs> in us. Yes. Yes. Well, my second point was I did see this Camilla Marone theory. theory and I kind of think it could happen more than I think the Kendall Jenner thing could happen because I sometimes think about Harry Styles and Kendall Jenner having a conversation I just simply cannot picture it yeah you're like what are you talking about yeah I reckon 100% I think the Camilla Marone thing is bang on so let's wait and see my second story Emma Chamberlain lands exclusive Spotify podcast deal for anything goes that is from the Hollywood Reporter yeah so our favorite internet gal just signed a very huge deal with Spotify last week under a new multi-year licensing deal anything goes with Emma Chamberlain will be available exclusively to Spotify from early 2023 so this includes all of her old episodes and new episodes. Yeah, I mean, for those who may need a quick reintroduction to Emma Chamberlain, we're not going to spend much time on this because, gosh, we talk about her a little bit. Emma started on YouTube in 2018. She started posting vlogs and kind of quirky content. (laughs) She currently has 16.2 million followers on Instagram. And in 2019, she launched both her coffee brand, Chamberlain Coffee, and her podcast, Anything Goes. Now, I think the question naturally on everybody's lips has been... How much is this deal actually worth? Because while there are like a lot of unsubstantiated rumors, we have scoured the web and can't find anything legitimate. And truthfully, what I found most interesting about this news, and I wonder if you agree, is when this news is reported, there's no figure in headlines. There's no like for reported X million dollar deal. 
which we saw with Joe Rogan. We saw that with Alex Cooper and Call It Daddy. Yeah, so in Feb 2022, Joe Rogan signed exclusively with Spotify for a reported $200 million. Call Her Daddy's Alex Cooper reportedly earned $60 million for her three-year deal. But yeah, with Emma Chamberlain, we can't find a figure. It's kind of no surprise, particularly when it comes to Emma Chamberlain, is that you've got like a young... 20-something-year-old woman who was earning buckets of cash, but her demographic clearly won't be experiencing life in any way, shape or form the way that Emma Chamberlain is. So I understand why they want to keep it under wraps because it's the most unrelatable thing in the world. I think I always get a bit nervous when good things happen to young women like her that people don't start trying to, I don't know, like pull her down. Yeah, well, I already saw a little bit of commentary online. Well, because Emma said there'll be more video content, we'll have more cool interviews, all of that kind of stuff. People were like, oh, we're worried that she won't be doing the recordings in her bedroom like she used to. It'll be more of a slick production and they didn't seem to quite like that. Yeah, I think that's fair in terms of that's exactly what's going to happen. But I also think people don't really like change. But I think it'll be good when it happens. Our third story Sarah Harris to join the project after Peter Hellier, Lisa Wilkinson and Carrie Bickmore quit. That is from The Guardian. Oh, gee whiz. It has been a massive week of resignations at the project. On Sunday, Lisa Wilkinson announced that she's leaving the project after five years in the job, some six weeks after Carrie Bickmore announced that she too was leaving. Then on Tuesday this week, Peter Hellier also announced his departure after his eight-year run on the show. What the hell? It's been crazy. It's been pretty interesting. So Lisa Wilkinson on Sunday told viewers that her exit is effective immediately. She did say she was going to stay on at 10 and be working on other projects. She actually did cite also media toxicity as a reason that she was stepping back, that she's found the last six months incredibly difficult. Peter Hellier's last episode will air December 7 and Carrie will finish up at the end of this month. I actually am pretty flawed. I, ha- I can't remember a time where a television show has had such a mass exodus from its stars all at the same time. Yes, and all of their departures and everything are a bit staggered, but we're learning about all of their resignations in the space of like a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I, I wonder, did they all sit down and decide to leave? Was there something that's happened? Why have they been staggered in this way? Or would it be even weirder to put out a press release and say that they're all leaving in the same time? I don't know. It is interesting nonetheless. Now, as we read out in that headline, they have announced that Sarah Harris will join Waleed Ali as a co-host in 2023, replacing Carrie Bickmore. In that same announcement post, Channel 10 also confirmed that Hamish McDonald and Georgie Tunney will continue on as panellists. Yes, but the omissions of a couple of names like Tommy Little and Steve Price from that post got people speculating that more resignations are still to come. Yeah, well, it also didn't help that on Wednesday as well, media correspondent for The Guardian, Amanda Mead, tweeted, brace yourself, there is more today, which was a response to another tweet about the resignations. Now, as our listeners know, we record this on Wednesday. It comes out on Thursday morning. So if that tweet is to be believed, then there might be more resignations between us recording this and this being released tomorrow. Yes, it seems like it'll be more drama in the next few weeks, do we think? Also, just for the future of the project. So many question marks. Yeah, so many question marks. I think obviously the project has finessed this you know, process whereby there are rotating guests. We are used to seeing different faces on that show. But at the end of the day, I think for viewer loyalty, they need to be invested in the key stars of that show. And for a lot of them to leave at the same time, puts the future of the show in in 
shaky doubt. Exactly. Surely. And I also just wonder if people behind the scenes sense this was coming because I don't know if I'm just pulling something out of nowhere, but I've sensed a shift recently where they seem to be amping up the roster of co-hosts as of the last couple of months. I think that's true. I think they're definitely trying new faces on the show and it's kind of no surprise now that we know what's been going on behind the scenes. So we will have to watch this space. Our fourth story, Julia Fox. I only dated Kanye West to get him off Kim Kardashian's back. That is from page six. <laughs> I love you this story. We're desperate to fight for this story, so <laughs> fight for it. So it's been a while since we mentioned Julia Fox's name on the pod. But yeah, she's I actually, feel like we haven't aged. I know, right? It's been a long time, but she's been having a bit of a resurgence lately. To refresh your memory, yes, you do not know who Julia Fox <laughs> is. Julia Fox actually dated Kanye West. In January this year, they split about a month after. Feels like it was much longer than January. I know, right? You'll also no doubt remember when Julia famously sent the internet into a spiral in February with her uncut jams (laughs) (laughs) moment on Call Her Daddy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then she went a little bit quiet for a little bit, for a little while. Not for long, though. Because if you're like us, you'd have seen Julia all over your TikTok feed in the past couple of months. You may even have seen this TikTok video that she posted earlier this week. Yeah, let's talk about this video in question night because basically what happened was TikTok user Jed (laughs) Batty. It's the most Gen Z story ever. <laughs> Jed Batty. Jed Batty commented this on one of Julia's videos. I just wished you weren't dating a famously violent and misogynistic anti-Semite. Julia actually responded to this comment with a three-minute video. Now, she began explaining that Kanye hadn't done as much controversial stuff when she started texting him. And regardless, she actually wasn't too keen initially to keep talking to him. Then she said... She had this thought. And I was like, oh my God, maybe I can get him off of Kim's off Kim's case. Like maybe I can distract him, like just get him to like me. And I knew I was like, if anyone can do it, it's me because when I set my mind to something, I do it. And I will say that that month that we spent together, he wasn't he wasn't on Twitter, first of all. He wasn't on any forms of social media. Um he didn't even talk about his relationship. We only really talked about clothes and like weird ideas and plans for the future and our hopes and dreams for childhood and education. And like, it was really beautiful, guys. The moment he started tweeting, I was out. She goes on to say that she thought she could help him, but she very swiftly realized he wasn't open to changing. This video in full is just so funny because she at the start she's like, oh, he just keeps texting me and I don't even like it. Like, <laughs> go away, Kanye. <laughs> what do we actually think about this as an explanation for them dating? I, okay, so I think if you don't know much about Julia Fox, if yeah. you just read this headline in isolation that she says that she put herself forward to kind of protect <laughs> it's like, him it's from like Kanye. Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games being like, I volunteer as tribute. Exactly. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like she's maybe fibbing. Yes, it's like fibbing. fibbing. I wouldn't have that word in 20 years. Amazing stuff. <laughs> Doesn't it though? It obviously makes her look good. Yeah, for sure. Because she's like, oh, I'm protecting Kim. I'll take on Kanye instead. But I do think if you have seen all of TikTok videos, all of the interviews she's done recently, this kind of behavior aligns with the image that she has. She seems like a very honest, zany, loyal person. 
Yes. So that's why I think she is not fibbing. I think this is all real and I love it. So it's so interesting because yesterday we were sitting down to talk about this because you were like, I really want to talk about Julia Fox. Julia Fox has had like such a resurgence. She's everywhere at the moment. And I love her. And I said that to you. I was like, what is the mood that you're sensing amongst like your demo? Your demo. <laughs> I did say fibbing before, which is like very, very millennial. <laughs> no, but you're only like three years younger than me. But sometimes I'm like, what's the sense that you're getting on your algorithm? And you were like, people love her. And I was like, okay, I'll back you in on this one. And then this morning I woke up and I saw on Instagram, The Cut had written an article about this story. And I went to click on the comments because there were like 500 comments. The comments were all over the place. Some people saying, shut up. Some people saying, I love this woman. And then there was a comment that I found fascinating where it was millennials don't understand Julia Fox in the same way that Gen Z do. And I wonder if that nailed it to be like Gen Z have this appreciation for Julia Fox that I wonder if millennials think she's kind of just chasing fame and obsessed with a headline without seeing how so much of it is tongue in cheek. Yes, she's very like offbeat. Is that a way yes, to describe yeah. someone? And it seems genuine and tongue in cheek at the same time. It's so confusing. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. Yeah, and I do wonder what's going to happen to her image in the future because as we know, like people online tend to claw down yeah, celebrities I, that we raise up high. Yeah, but I don't think she's raised up high enough. Like I think yeah. people don't quite understand her as much as they could yet. But also because she says such wild things this sometimes. So I do outrageous. worry that one day she'll say something and we'll be like, hang on, too far. Yeah, <laughs> like we were on this train until we're not. I am also most intrigued, I guess, what happens to her career, like whether this actually does work out for her career with all of this in mind, because she's got a stronger brand or a more visible brand, I'll say, than ever. It will be interesting to see if that actually pays off when it comes to her work. Which is interesting because she has said in the past, she told Embrad on M's Hilo podcast that her relationship with Kanye actually didn't help her career at all and negatively affected her image. She said, I'm not getting as many offers as I was before, weirdly. There's been a lot of weird drawbacks with reaching that level of notoriety. Yeah. Which is interesting because I think a lot of people at the time thought that she was dating Kanye for the clout and for the fame. Yeah. And to be honest, part of me still kind of thinks that. <laughs> but you're a millennial. <laughs> I, am a, I'm, I actually, yeah, I'm, a, I'm on the cast. So I can have one foot in either camp. Guys, we have so much more to talk about today. We have to talk about Lily Rose Depp. And of course, we have to talk about Taylor Swift and Ticketmaster. But all of that after the break. All right, Annabelle, our fifth story. Lily Rose Depp objects to being called a Nepo baby. That is from the cut. Lily, we loved you. We still love you, but this has confused me a lot. Yeah, so for those who missed it, Lily Rose Depp did the thing you should never do on a press tour. I mean, she is currently promoting her new show, The Idol, which she co-stars alongside The Weeknd, where she accidentally gave a clunky quote and sort of had the internet talk about her for a week. So in this case, she did a big cover story with Elle, right? And she had some interesting quotes about nepotism. Here is what she said when she was asked about what she thought of the term nepo baby. The internet seems to care a lot about that kind of stuff. People are going to have preconceived ideas about you or how you got there. I can definitely say that nothing is going to get you the part except for being right for the part. The internet cares a lot more about who your family is than the people who are casting you and things. Maybe you get your foot in the door, but you still have to have your foot in the door. There is a lot of work that comes after that. 
This is oh, major sigh vibes. Why can't Nepo babies just admit that they've had so much help? I actually watched a really interesting TikTok from Ireland Baldwin, Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger's daughter. Yeah, right. And she had some really interesting thoughts about this. She did not agree at all with Lily Rose Depp's comments about being a nepotism baby. But she was also kind of seeing it from Lily's perspective, obviously, as a Nepo baby herself, being like, it is kind of tiring to constantly like deal with the comments about it if that makes sense like I get why Lily is frustrated about it but she's just not handling it the way she should I don't think I think that's bang on because I can only imagine how frustrating it is to feel like you're actually good at your job and people are trying to discredit that by saying you don't deserve to be there I understand that I do sort of think maybe one of the great downsides of being a nepo baby is you should just never say that publicly because it's never going to go down well like being able to understand the mood is understanding that a quote like that will always be reduced to feeling like or are sensing that you have no sense of your own privilege I think when it comes to Lily Rose Depp the quote actually went on and truthfully I think it got worse as she went on and I want to read out the rest Lily does find it interesting however that she rarely hears anyone refer to a man as a nepo baby It is weird to reduce somebody to the idea that they're only there because it's a generational thing. It just doesn't make any sense. If somebody's mum or dad is a doctor and then the kid becomes a doctor, you're not going to be like, well, you're only a doctor because your parent is a doctor. It's like, no, I went to medical school and I trained. The journalist wrote, ever careful, she is quick to add, but that she is by no means comparing her own work to that of someone in the medical field. I just hear it a lot more about women and I don't think that's a coincidence. A few things to unpack here because... I think when we have these conversations, it's so important for these quote-unquote Nepo babies to understand. No one's saying you actually might not be good at your job. In fact, you're probably more inclined to be okay at your job because you have genes. Yes, you know, that, and you've like, been exposed to like two great actors your yeah, whole life. Yeah, 100%. Your training is probably going to be better than the average person. You are probably quite good at this. What people are saying is that if you didn't have that, you might not actually have the exposure that anybody else has also the doctor quote really got me as well because I was like if somebody's mum or dad is a doctor and then the kid becomes a doctor you're not going to be like well you're only a doctor because your parent is a doctor I am definitely like that like (laughs) yeah is that not how the world works why did she have to pick doctor as well no it's like unfortunately it is a really ill-advised yeah. comment. Like, I'm not really in the mood to be, like, completely outraged, but I just find it pretty clunky. Yeah, and I also think when Lily was like, oh, we don't talk about male Nepo babies as much as we talk about female Nepo babies, yeah. I don't think I agree with that. I yeah. think we talk about them equally. Like, I don't know. I think that was a bit of a stretch from her. That did feel like a stretch for me, and I really wanted to sit with it as well before I came to that conclusion because I was like, I don't want to discredit this in case it is true because there are so many scenarios where we do hold women to a higher standard than men, but... I think Nepo babies who are trying to kind of carve careers for themselves in industries that their parents are in regardless of gender are the laughing stock. Yeah. I mean, speaking of laughing stock, my my sixth story. (laughs) A sugui. A sugui if you've ever heard one. (laughs) Alleged chef. Brooklyn Beckham copped a roasting for his new recipe that is literally just a G&T. That is from Pedestrian. I mean, we didn't set those stories up for that reason, but I think we accidentally just proved Lily Rose Depp wrong. <laughs> yeah. Brooklyn Beckham has got to be one of the most cringe celebrities yeah. out there. He, he makes mistakes so often. Like, accidentally. Like, like way too often. So this time... Brooklyn Beckham has accidentally become the joke of the internet after he was doing sort of this video series with Bustle where he was teaching viewers 
how to make his two favorite cocktails, one of which was a gin and tonic. Now, it did not help that Brooklyn Blackham led the tutorial by saying he is a nutter, and that is a quote, a direct quote, a nutter in the kitchen. He also said, and this also didn't help, he's very experimental and I love trying to make new drinks. I definitely think that someone in uh, Brooklyn's PR team needs to have a conversation with him about managing expectations because he led with that and then he tried to teach the audience how to make a gin and tonic. Here's a snippet of that video. So for my gin and tonic, I use Monkey 47 gin. I'm gonna add some lime in there, some cucumber, some rosemary and some mint. Schweppes tonic water, top it off with a bunch of ice. Bloody amazing. He's so like, I'm just quirky. He's like, oh no, this is not like, this is not a regular gin and tonic. I've put some rosemary and some fucking mint and whatever else in it. What is the definition of a pick me girl? Because is this kind of giving pick me energy or not? (laughs) Unpack that. Like, oh my God, I am so niche. Yeah, maybe that's fair. Or the other way to look at it is, is it like a little bit of ego? To to assume that people aren't across these things that you are telling them you're an expert on. Like to think that you're squeezing limes fresh and telling the audience that fresh lime juice is better than packaged <laughs> lime juice and that we wouldn't perhaps have already guessed that. You know? Oh, Brooklyn. Yes. Yeah. Oh, um, I just don't know what to expect from him anymore. I think that is all we've got for the quick and dirty. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> I remembered my line. <laughs> Thank you, next bitch. We're sure you've seen the headlines all over the internet and the outcries of disappointment from fans who missed out on Taylor Swift tickets last week. So what actually went down between Taylor Swift and Ticketmaster and how and why did it all get so dramatic? Zara, let's try and unpack it all. We did some digging and there's a lot. There actually is more than I anticipated. It is quite a layered story. So let's start from the top, right? Like shit really did hit the fan last week when tickets went on pre-sale. And I think I want to make that point really clear. This was just pre-sale for Taylor Swift's Errors Tour. Now the tour kicks off on March 17 and Taylor will have 52 concerts across the US in five months. She hasn't yet announced her other international dates. Yes, and an astounding number of tickets were sold. 2.4 million i we, we were like how many people live in america yeah no i literally did that so when i saw the 2.4 i was like that is so many people that's like one in three people in yeah. she must be very proud of that number regardless of all of this drama no 100 percent. and it is also definitely not one in three people in the it's like one in 150 but still incredibly impressive according to Ticketmaster, 14 million users and they said bots as well tried to buy tickets And Ticketmaster reported that the pre-sale traffic eclipsed any previous peak by a factor of four. Yeah. And now just a quick reminder, this was just pre-sale. Yeah. So these people were verified fans and they had codes and everything. But the sale went so tits up. (laughs) Tits up. Tits up. Did that come out naturally? (laughs) Sarah wrote that line. I wrote that line. I had trouble saying that. I'm going to say it again. So tits up. The Ticketmaster had to cancel the general sale because it sounds like they accidentally sold all of the tickets. That's definitely how it sounds, doesn't it? That like pre-sale went on sale. Everything got sold. Everything was a nightmare and there was nothing to come after that. I do want to ask you one question before we like properly dig into the details of the drama here. Does Taylor Swift's popularity continue to surprise you? Yes and no. 
Yes, because her success is just like out of this world. No, because we know her as a mastermind, you know, because she's like intentionally everywhere right now, right? Yeah. And because she's digging up her old stuff, re-recording it and everything. We're kind of right now remembering all her old hits. We're like relishing in what she's creating currently. And it's just this overwhelming thing of she's everywhere. She's in my mind because I'm thinking about her from the past. I'm thinking about what she's doing now. You can't escape her. And the people that are obsessed with her would be like frothing right now. 100%. It's like a Taylor Swift whitewash for sure. And I think it's made me think a lot about these re-recordings like looking at these numbers I'm like this is insane and I think it does put these re-recordings in a in a new light I mean in many ways I can't imagine how much work has gone into actually putting these albums out again but I think it's also one of the better things she's done for brand ever yeah it's no surprise that loyalty for her and obsession with her is higher than ever. So let's talk about what actually went wrong when it came to Ticketmaster, right? Because when people jumped online to buy these tickets, many said that they waited hours and like were repeatedly kicked off the Ticketmaster website as they tried to buy the tickets. There was also a reported dynamic pricing ticket model. Now we do have to put on the record here that Ticketmaster hasn't confirmed or denied whether this was true. However, a dynamic pricing model basically increases or decreases the price of a concert ticket according to demand as people sit on the website. So that reportedly saw fans pay astronomical amounts for tickets. According to multiple news outlets, Annabelle, some fans ended up paying more than $5,000 USD for a ticket. Yeah, which is absolutely mind-boggling but also kind of unsurprising given how high the demand is for Taylor Swift tickets. for sure. So on Thursday, Ticketmaster published a blog post apologising to Taylor and her fans. They wrote, especially those who had a terrible experience purchasing tickets. Overall, we estimate about 15% of interactions across the site experienced issues. And we were saying when we were researching for this that 15% sounds like not many, but in the context of like how many millions of tickets they sold, it's a lot of people who are mad. Well, I said to you like, my whole TikTok feed were people mad about this. It was definitely more than 15%. And then I started to do the maths on 15% of 14 million. And I thought that actually might just be my old TikTok feed. <laughs> yeah. Now, fans weren't happy and they certainly let the internet know about it. A lot were like desperately disappointed in Taylor personally. And I saw so many TikToks about people saying, well, why isn't she speaking on this? why isn't she saying anything and it reminded me again of what happens when you're a star like Taylor Swift who tells their fans repeatedly that they are your friends and so when things go wrong they are almost holding you personally and solely liable like how dare you do this to us and there's no denying that that sort of dynamic has worked like incredibly well for Taylor in the past you know leaning into that friendship dynamic but it's kind of like when the highs are high they're really high (laughs) when the lows are low they're really bloody low like when things go badly you're the one they blame yeah absolutely and obviously her decision to create that like friendship dynamic was so purposeful and like you said it's benefited her incredibly in the past that's why this whole like seeing fans on tiktok complain about it and really go for taylor didn't really surprise me no not at all but i think how did you feel like did you have an instinct when you were seeing all of this unravel that you thought where is she Interestingly, I think my opinion shifted before and after Taylor spoke about it. Okay. Before she came out with a statement and I was just seeing people on TikTok get really mad, it felt a bit overblown to me, like a bit 
dramatic. I was like, it makes sense. She has a lot of fans. People are going for her tickets like crazy. It makes sense that you're going to miss out. I was kind of confused as to why people were so angry. Right. But once Taylor released her statement, I think I was more so like, why isn't she taking accountability for this? Isn't that interesting? I wonder if I actually felt the complete opposite Ah. in like reverse. When I saw all of this happen, I do feel like I had this sense of like, well, yeah, why isn't she saying anything? And I hated that I had that response because I mean, while I think it's like very human and very natural, it's a really annoying part of discourse that when something happens, we are so quick to demand people speak on things. Like we are so quick to think and to say, where are you? Open your mouth. When in reality, discourse and conversations and disaster is so much stronger when people have time to sit with what they're going to say and think about either fixing it behind closed doors before they say anything or just having a really thoughtful response. Like we're all better off for that. But I felt in myself like, yeah, where is she? Then she actually gave a statement and let's read that out because goodness me, she eviscerated Ticketmaster in a way that I certainly wasn't expecting. Here's what she said on Instagram on Saturday morning Australian time, which was a happy wedding day to Michelle. (laughs) We had lots of news on Michelle's wedding day. We had uh, Harry and Olivia and this. She would have been mad that she wouldn't be able to do this episode. (laughs) 100%. Well, it goes without saying that I am extremely protective of my fans. We've been doing this for decades together and over the years, I've brought so many elements of my career in-house. I have done this specifically to improve the quality of my fans' experience by doing doing it myself with my team who care as much about my fans as I do. It is really difficult for me to trust an outside entity with these relationships and loyalties and excruciating for me to just watch mistakes happen with no recourse. The statement went on. There are a multitude of reasons why people had such a hard time trying to get tickets and I'm trying to figure out how the situation can be improved moving forward. I'm not going to make excuses for anyone because we asked them multiple times if they could handle this kind of demand and we were assured they could. It's truly amazing that 2.4 million people got tickets, but it really pisses me off that a lot of them feel like they went through several bear attacks to get them. What is a bear attack? I don't know. I was like, is this like a cybersecurity term or is this some like a metaphor for actual bear attack? I wondered, it could be a cybersecurity term. It could be like an American thing or a Taylor Swiftism that she just made up and it kind of works in this context. I think probably the latter. Now, there's been so much talk about who's actually to blame here. And there seems to be multiple reasons why something like this has actually occurred. I mean, firstly, what is really obvious here is demand for Taylor Swift has never been so high. She has released four studio albums since she last toured in 2018. So people naturally want to see all that music performed. According to Ticketmaster, to meet the demand that they saw last week, Taylor Swift would have to play 900 stadium shows in the US alone to meet that demand. That's fuck. That is wild. I often think to myself if I could be a pop star and if I could do it, if I could tour it, absolutely not. We, we've we said that on the show before. Yeah. It would be so exhausting. Now, there was also a really interesting piece in The Atlantic about how another element of this, right, is that it's actually more expensive than ever for artists to tour. But on the other hand, live music is also more in demand than ever. The Atlantic gave that example. I don't know if you remember, Annabelle, of Lord recently coming out and telling her fans that touring is almost near impossible yeah. right now. And I, there's this passage from The Atlantic that also I think – can go away to explaining what's happened here. 
Across live music, supply and demand aren't matching up and core systems are breaking down. A winner-takes-all dynamic may be emerging in which only the biggest stars can afford to gig, but are then overrun with demand, leaving listeners feeling frustrated and fleeced. So you've got that middle band of stars like Lord who's saying, I can't really afford to do this right now. It's ridiculous. You've kind of only got the Harry Styles, the Justin Bieber's, the Taylor Swift's, perhaps the Beyonce's next year touring, which means demand for them is so high that they simply can't meet it. Yeah, I wonder how many people were across this because this was all brand new information to me. I didn't realise that so many artists were struggling. No, nor did I. Yeah, so there's that. And then there's this other messy thing, which is the issue of Ticketmaster having such a monopoly over the industry. And this Taylor Swift example is not an anomaly. Yes. So this is where things can potentially get a bit dense here, but stay with us because I think it's actually a really important conversation to have. So... For a bit of context for you all, a company called Live Nation bought Ticketmaster in 2010, which meant that basically Ticketmaster has had a complete monopoly over this market and has no real competitors. And you might be wondering, okay, well, what's the deal with that? Why is that such a problem? And there's actually a really amazing explainer in Vox that will pop in the show notes that basically explained why Ticketmaster's monopoly is such a problem. But they had this passage that I'll read to you that will hopefully give you some insight. Thanks to a web of exclusivity contracts with artists and venues, consumers usually have to go through Ticketmaster to see artists they want to see. Artists face limits too. As many arenas and stadiums have Ticketmaster exclusivity deals, wherein playing at a venue means using Ticketmaster as their vendor. Usually, a company doesn't just go around upsetting its base with website crashes, absurd ticket pricing and fees, and being shut out of tickets. Consumer loyalty matters to most corporations, but Ticketmaster's marketplace dominance allows it to continue on even if it's delivering a horrific experience i mean the example that this vox piece used is or the comparison that they used is that if you have a shitty experience at a restaurant you just never really go back to that restaurant because there are so many other restaurants around for you to try however if you have a shitty experience with ticketmaster as a consumer or if an artist has a shitty experience with ticketmaster Chances are they both still have to go back because they're the main player in the ticket selling economy. Yes, they have like complete power, right? Yeah. And people are wanting in the US for Live Nation and Ticketmaster to break up. Yes. yes. Like you, people might have seen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeting about this this week saying like we need to break them up because anyone having a monopoly over any industry is only horrendous for everybody else. Yes. So it seems like because they have power, a lot of people are blaming Ticketmaster for this whole dramatic thing. But by some critics, Taylor Swift isn't seen as a completely innocent party. (laughs) (laughs) Economics professor Eric Budish told the Washington Post that Ticketmaster is just a punching bag because apparently the artist is the one who decides how tickets are priced. And while, like you said before, Ticketmaster chose not to comment when they were probed about how Taylor's tickets were priced, as we said, it is believed that the tickets used a dynamic pricing system. So the question of all questions is, did Taylor agree to that pricing system? Because like it kind of makes, we don't know, but it kind of makes sense because she would have known that demand would be high, that would bump up the prices. And I guess she would benefit from that. Yes. And I think if we are living in a world where touring is hard, then you're probably trying to make money where you can. That said, Taylor Swift is actually not in my past basket. Neither. But 
for some reason is in this case because I kind of think we have no sense if what she agreed to or what she had the power to agree to. I think what's been very interesting digging into this is how much I've learned about kind of how little power artists and consumers have when it comes to Ticketmaster's monopoly and that there may have just been terms in the contracts that she could not overwrite. I mean, on the other hand, you say you could say it's Taylor Swift. I'm sure there's something she could have done, but I would rather give the benefit of the doubt here to say maybe she had no power to kind of untick the box that said dynamic pricing model and that fault therefore still lies with Ticketmaster. I think her crimes are pretty minimal here to me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by my own defense of her. No, I, I do really like her, but I do consider her flawed. But here I'm just like, I'm just not sure it's her. No, I agree. And because we did all this research about Ticketmaster, I think that's made me realize that perhaps they did have some sort of power over Taylor as well. And maybe if she did tick that box to say yes to dynamic pricing, they would have taken a larger portion. Like, I re- we really don't know. I love how we're talking about this like it's just a form she feels like <laughs> ticking the box. Yeah, I am desperately intrigued. And I think what I'm hoping this actually means is that by by the time the, the dates are announced for the rest of the world and we might be jumping on to buy these tickets, that these issues are almost completely fixed. I would be surprised if we were forking out nearly the same as what the US have, but surely it's got to be fixed. But then it also makes you wonder, what the hell is the future of touring for these artists? Like maybe Rihanna or Beyonce, whoever they might be, massive stars who want to do tours like Taylor Swift. Is the same thing just going to keep happening because the root cause of it all hasn't changed? Yeah, it's very interesting. I do want to say as well before we wrap up this segment that even though after I read that statement from Taylor initially, I felt a little bit like, huh, she should have taken more accountability. I think that was just like a bit of a rash gut reaction because speaking personally, I myself apologize too much. So when I read an apology from a a supposed apology from a famous person and they didn't really use the word apologize or sorry, I felt like she was purposefully doing that. And it felt like, a teensy bit fake and not I don't know yeah, I think no, that's, that's what it was that's really interesting because it's like if if we are wired like if you are wired to say I'm always going to say sorry for things even if I feel like it's not my fault or whatever it might be then of course your gut reaction is going to be that yeah and it felt like so overworked maybe that it was such a meticulously crafted statement, statement that I felt like it wasn't so genuine and I felt like oh this isn't going to please fans yeah which is what, yeah but I actually after doing all this research don't think Taylor is at fault here yeah I am very very intrigued I think we will definitely poll our listeners on your say friday i mean i think we have quite a few taylor swift stands in our listenership so i would be very surprised if we had any sort of form of majority who <laughs> thought she was at fault but regardless i mean as i said he's hoping it's fixed up moving forward but what a fascinating one to dig into yes and a big week for celebs surprisingly i know thank god for that sorry <laughs> that you had to miss out michelle but we will see you next week for now that is all we've got time for guys if you want to come and support the show please click follow on spotify or apple Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts you also know we are on instagram at shameless podcast and tiktok at shameless underscore podcast annabelle lee anything to add no <laughs> <laughs> oh missy michelle bye. bye michelle i mean bye michelle <laughs> hi michelle i don't actually know if she'll listen to this but we will see you next week and we'll hear the proper rundown from the wedding and the honeymoon then yeah bye bye Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.